We're just going to begin as we continue our series, our Advent series on the Compassionate Father. And today, we will be addressing justice, the Compassionate Father as He addresses justice. Now, when you think about justice, what comes to mind? If you actually look at the word justice in the dictionary, one of the dictionaries, it, it defines justice as this. The quality of being just, the quality of being just, or righteousness, or equitableness, or moral rightness. So do you know what it means when we say that we serve or we believe in a God of justice? It means to believe that God's character is such that he makes all things that are wrong, he makes it right. It means that God's quality of character, the very person of who God is, is to take everything that is wrong to make it right. Now let me ask you, how many of us need justice to happen in our lives? Uh, ever, how many of you guys here ever do all the hard work on an assignment at school only to have someone else take all the credit for what you've done? Uh, ever got skipped over for a promotion at work because someone else who doesn't work as hard as you and always seems to scheme his or her way through the cracks gets these kinds of deals. Ever been ripped off by someone or scammed and having to just sit there feeling uh, completely shamed and embarrassed by it. If you have any of these experiences in your life, then you know what it means to long for justice to happen in our lives. You know, a, a long time ago, I remember driving down the highway here on the 401, and my friend was in the car with me, and as we were driving, we were having this great conversation, but then suddenly, there was this car. We were in the, like, um, we were in the last lane, and the car that was in the passing lane, he just decided that he wanted to go uh, towards the off-ramp, but he was in the passing lane, and then suddenly, he just swerves right in front of us, almost causing us to have an accident. We put on the brake, we had to swerve a little bit, and he gets onto the off-ramp, and he goes away, and then as he's driving off, my friend is just staring out my window into the distance, glaring at this car, and then suddenly, he says this, he said, Lord, go get him! Go get him, Lord. Have vengeance, God. Go get him right now. And when he started saying that, I looked over at him and I started laughing. And I said, what are you doing? And then he turned to me with a completely serious face. And he said this, Eddie, there is nothing funny about this. I actually feel sorry for that guy because God is a God who will bring justice so I remember just smiling at him when he just said that to me. And I said to my friend, remind me never to cross you in my life because I never want to hear you saying to, uh, to God about me, God, go get him. Have justice on Eddie for what he has done to me. You know, I know that although that this is a very superficial example of injustice, I really don't want to undermine the truly tragic and dark experiences that we may have experienced, we've heard our friends or our family experience, that really cause us to wonder, 
whether God even exists or cares. You know, this isn't a contemporary issue about is God just? And how, if God is just, why do we see so much evil that continues to take place in the world and so much darkness that I have to contend with in my everyday life? How many of us heard of the Greek philosopher Epicurus? Have you guys heard of that name before in your studies or in your own readings, Epicurus? He was the founder of Epicurism. His philosophy of life was this. He basically sought out a path to happiness through self-sufficiency and friendships. He basically said, in all of life, if you want to be happy or if you want to look for happiness, you can find it in being self-sufficient and having friends around you. You know, when we think about Epicurism, it sounds very, that philosophy seems very familiar with the way that we live our lives today. We try to be self-sufficient. We try to make our own money and be not, not be dependent on anyone else. And we try to enjoy that with friends who are around us. You know, Epicurus, he existed 300 years before Jesus Christ. And one of his most famous philosophies that he came out with is called the Epicurean Paradox about God and evil. The Epicurean Paradox about God and evil. I'm not sure if you guys heard of this before, but it goes this. There's three statements to this Epicurean Paradox, and it goes like this. If God is willing to prevent evil, but he is unable to, Then, God is powerless. His second statement was, if God is able to prevent evil, but he is unwilling to, then he is not all good. And the third statement, if God is both willing and able to prevent evil, then why does evil exist? You know, many times when we experience tragedies, or hear about these unspeakable evils that take place around us. We see it on the news and we've experienced it uh, with questions that we we cannot answer. It just seems like a random act of darkness that just happened to some people's lives. We uh, We can quickly become disillusioned with believing that God really is just, that God really does care. And we begin to question, God, are you even there? What's the point of me following after you? You know, in fact, even before Epicurus had his own experiences and came up with this Epicurean uh, philosophy, biblical writers did not shy away from asking the very same questions. In fact, when we look at Psalm 73, uh, verses 11 through 14, the psalmist Asaph, he he, uh, portrays the sentiment of the culture of his day by saying this. They say, "How, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. They're always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain, I've kept my heart pure and I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long, I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. 
See, Asaph, what he was basically saying is, in a world that is evil, in a world that gets to do its own ways, and for me, if I believe that God is just and he wants me to live justly as well, his question was, what's the point? When these types of people can continually live their own life and it looks like that they're having their own freedoms, their own ways, and they're enjoying everything. Yet here I am trying to be just and trying to be good. And the thing that I get for that is self-punishment. I feel like I'm just suffering for just being good. And he says, in vain it feels like I tried to keep this quality in my life. In this psalm, we see Asaph questioning God's justice while he suffers from evil, uh, while he suffers and evil people continue to thrive. At times, it really does feel like God is silent on these matters. There are times in our life where it just feels like, God, why aren't you saying anything? Why aren't you revealing anything when I need you the most, where I feel the most lost, or I feel the most confused, or I feel the most disheartened? But the good news that we have is this. God is not silent on these matters. In fact, we have all of biblical history and all of church history to show us how he has and how he continues to respond to injustice. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 10, and we're going to read from verse 14 to 21. So Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14 to 21, I'll be reading from the NIV, and I invite you to read along. It reads this, To the Lord your God belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners. For you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. See, the first thing that we see from this passage is is this reminder that we're given through Moses as the people were taken out of Egypt and before they continued on on their journey, Moses wanted his people to know this is what you're going to face at times. We live in a broken world and we want you to hold to this. And the first reminder that Moses gives to his people is this. Begin with God, not your experience. You know, in moments where we feel that there's injustice, in moments when we feel that it's dark and we're overwhelmed, we're reminded through this passage to begin with God and not 
our experience. What do I mean by this? It means that sometimes we make the mistake that uh, where we begin with our moments. Um, and, and some of these moments, as disheartening and as painful and as tragic it may be, we take all of that pain and through that lens of pain, we begin to try to make sense of everything else around us. In other words, we're seeing the world and we're seeing God through the lens of that tragedy or through that lens of that dark moment of our life. But we need to remember that these are moments that do not speak for the whole. You can't take small moments and define the whole based on those moments. So there are times that you'll be on the receiving end of verbal abuse for no fault of your own. You'll, be, uh, you'll experience times where you're unjustly blamed for something that you did not do. You'll be rejected for a reason outside of who you are. Or you will be oppressed just because you are, you are vulnerable in a certain way. And as terrible as these circumstances are and these moments are that we're going to face in our life, that does not mean that God does not exist, nor does it mean that God does not care for you. Think about it in this way. Bad moments don't define reality in the same way that broken hearts don't determine whether or not love exists. So bad moments don't define reality in the same way that when your heart is broken by someone doesn't define or determine whether or not love exists. You see, from the Deuteronomy 10, 14 to 18 verses, Moses reminds the people that no matter their circumstances or what they're facing, so as they continue their journey with God, he says, don't let your moments make you forget who God is. Don't let your moments define for you who God is in your life. He reminds the people right away as we read the early part of this passage, he says, God is sovereign. God is this holy God. God is this God who is completely self-sufficient in himself. Yet this sovereign God, he says, he turned his affection towards you. I want to make sure that we get this. Moses tells the people, always begin with God. No matter how dark your circumstance is, know this about God. He is sovereign. He does not need us. Yet this sovereign, all-powerful, who can just be by himself and satisfied in himself, God, he saw your misery. He saw your pain as oppressed by Egypt. And what this God did is he turned his affection towards you. Why? Because God is just. Because God loves us. He reminds them that this sovereign God, He is the God of gods. He is the Lords of lords. He shows no partiality and no one can bribe Him to do anything evil. He defends the cause of the fatherless, the vulnerable. He looks after the widows and loves also the foreigners, the people who always feel like they don't belong. They're hidden from other people's sight. They feel subhuman. He says, this God, 
who is all-powerful, he thinks about all of these small things. And even when we're not thinking about it ourselves, he looks towards the vulnerable. He helps those who are helpless. And he looks at those who are forgotten. This, he says, Moses says, this is who God is. We begin there with who God is. You see, the whole reason that they were out of Egypt is because God loved them. He's the one that released them out of the Pharaoh's hands. The problem was, though, that along their journey, the people kept allowing dark moments or hardship moments to define who God was to them. They would just take snippets of moments where they would run out of water and they would say, where is water? We are so thirsty and we are so hungry. Where's, where's anything to eat? There's no more animals to, for us to hunt in the desert. We are going to die here. We are starving. They take that moment and define who God is. Through that pain, they say, God must not care for us. Whenever they felt threatened by foreign armies that would come in or raiders that would come and try to, um, try to threaten them and take things away from them, they would say, I would rather die in Egypt. If God really cared for us, why would we bring him out to the desert for us to die? They took moments where they even refused to take the land that God had given them and saying, take this land, flowing with milk and honey, and the grapes are huge there. They would say, no, the people are too big. Why would you bring us to fight an army that we are not able to handle? And they would define God through that failure. You know, despite being the sovereign Lord, the reason why they felt these moments and they tried to use these moments to define God and the reason why God allows that to happen without always intervening and always taking control and always changing the circumstance out of his own goodness is because in order for God to love, in order for us to have love exist, there must be free will. There must be free will. See, look how it is addressed in verse 12. In Deuteronomy 10, 12, Moses starts this whole passage by saying this, And now, Israel, what does the Lord, your God, ask of you? He doesn't say, command you. He doesn't say, demand of you. He says, what does the Lord, your God, ask? He gives choice. Because love can only exist in choice. What does he ask of you? He says this, Is it not to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart with, and with all of your soul? You see, in order for love to be present, he has to give people choice to choose their own way, whether it is evil or not. This is sometimes why we experience these tragedies and these things that happen in our life that are evil, that are unjust. And we say, God, why don't you do something about it? And for God to just come down and intervene and get rid of it all the time means that we don't have choice. 
It means that there is no love. We are just commanded and we are formed to do things the way that we must do things because we're kind of like machines. But God gave us love. And out of that love, free choice. And in this broken world that we live in, people choose broken things. See, we have the choice to always choose between evil, anything that hinders life, or God, which is good. Anything that advances life. Evil happens because people choose it. Not because God is helpless against it and not because God doesn't care. Evil exists because choice exists. And choice exists because love exists. See, this is why we cannot take and and we cannot live our lives by momentary connections that we have with God whenever we need Him. This, is, this means that we're inevitably always just choosing a life without the presence of God's justice, love, and His ways. We are just looking for momentary places where you say, this is where I want you to intervene. Apart from that, God, get out of my life. And this brings us to the second reminder that we are given in this passage, and it's this. Resist limiting your relationship with God with moments. That was the problem of the Israelites. And that's our problem today. Resist limiting your relationship with God with moments. What do I mean by that? Uh, What I mean is, have you ever noticed that uh, sometimes when, even though we've been Christian for all of our life, uh, we can look back on our life and we realize it's not this kind of everyday consistency walking with God and inviting God and deepening that relationship with God in our everyday. It's kind of like these moments of intense or urgent need. That suddenly we seek after God, right? Uh, Maybe it's in a job interview. Maybe it's in a school mark. Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's because of money. Whatever it might be, we, we really find ourselves connected with God only because of moments, of temporary moments where we have urgent needs. We must resist limiting our relationship with God to just be about those moments, We are told not to allow our moments to define God. And in our relationship with God, we have a tendency to limit our interactions with Him in moments. So it's not so much anymore of a journey that we're taking with God, but moments where we desperately seek after Him. And after we get our answer, we just go on living our own life again. Look at verses 19 to 21. At the end of this passage, it is clear that Moses expects God's people to continue to journey with God and not continue in these moments of, I want water now. I want food now. I want meat now. He says, your life with God cannot be defined by those moments of urgent need. So he says to them this instead. He calls them to fear him in their everyday life. He says, serve him as you live. He says, hold fast to him in every portion of your life. He said, take oaths in his name. Walk alongside of him as you live. You know, the funny thing about our relationship with God is that we complain a lot, right? When he feels like he's so far away. 
me saying, see, God doesn't answer my prayer. He's not near. Where is he when I need him? And then when God draws near and he's inviting us to follow him and he says, take courage, follow me. This is the way that I'm leading you in and I'll be with you. We say, no, <laughs> God, you're, you're way too involved with my life, right? You're changing my life way too much. I just want this, right? And I just want to keep this kind of distance and I want to keep this limitations. And only when I call on you, do I want you then to come into our life. It's kind of parrot. Uh, we have this kind of paradox in our relationship with God. We want him near, but not really, right? And when he's near, we feel like he's too near. And we say, oh, this is just enough, God. You know, I have my limits and just up to here. But then we want God to intervene even deeper when we really urgently have need of him in our life. You see, this long-term journey with God is important because these moments of ups and downs, these moments of where is God in these darkest uh, portions of my life, it actually shapes us so that we learn how to trust Him throughout all circumstances of our life. Do you guys remember a best friend that you have? And if you think about that relationship that you have with that best, best friend, I'm pretty sure no matter how close you were with, with that friend, You've had high highs and low lows. You had moments where you refused to talk to that person, right, for months because you felt like they betrayed your trust and you're like going through that. But then you got through it and you continued to journey. And now as you look back, many years later, you recognize the reason why that person you consider your best friend is because you journeyed through all of those moments together. It wasn't like when a bad moment hit you and, oh, forget you, and you take off. You went through that roller coaster with that person. And as you did, you realized, wow, this shaped our relationship where I now know that I can trust this person through thick and thin. I think this is why we need, to, we need this kind of mindset of resisting this limitation of our relationship with God through moments where we need Him. We need to just journey with Him consistently in all parts of our life, even in those darker parts where we feel like, God, where are you? Because as we get through that, just as Asaph, the psalmist, got through it as well, he comes out saying, God, you are my God. You are sovereign, and I trust you. And that's where we need to be too as we journey with him. No, um, I want to end with this, uh, this story. Um, a few years ago, uh, while I was still serving in Korea and I was a youth pastor at that time, um, I was leading this summer retreat. And in the middle of the summer retreat, we're in the seminar. And so we were in the second day of it, middle of the afternoon, Everything is going good. Everyone's excited. And I was leading this one seminar, and my phone goes off. And I kept, like, trying to silence it, but it kept ringing in my pocket. And I was thinking, who's trying to call me during this time? They know that I'm in a retreat. And thinking that it probably is an emergency, I took out my phone, and I saw that the number was from one of the youth parents. And so in the middle of the seminar, as I'm leading it, I just told the youth, I think this is really important. I'm really sorry. I just got to uh, get this. And so I just walked out to the other room, got the phone call, 
And one of the moms of our youth suddenly had a stroke. And she was rushed to the hospital. And the father was saying, you need to get my son to the hospital now. Uh, I didn't know what to do. I was just shocked. I was like, what's going on? And it was just in the middle of our retreat. We still have three more days to go. And I looked at my teachers and I said, I got to take this guy to the hospital. I need to go back to the city. So you guys do whatever you need to do with the kids. You know, keep them safe. But I need to take them. And so I grabbed this one kid. We, we got in my car, rushed off to the hospital. And we got there right in time just to see the mom being wheeled in on the hospital gurney with like three, four doctors around her and another doctor on top of her trying to resuscitate her through CPR. And as we're watching this together, I, 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 I didn't know how to respond. It's so tragic. It's so different than the, the place that we were in. And he was speechless, didn't know how to respond as he sees his mom there. And I just grabbed him tightly and there was no words to speak. There was no words to come. How do you explain this? That she was so healthy the day before. Why suddenly the stroke and that suddenly leads to cardiac arrest and we're watching the doctors trying to revive. Just a few moments later, as we're just standing there watching this whole scene, her mom died. His mom died. You know, in those times, what do you say as a pastor? How do you explain something that feels so not right? Everything feels wrong. There's no answer for this. I was speechless. The only thing that I could do is just hold them. As his dad was sobbing over the wife of his, uh, uh, over the body of his wife, I just held him, and at the very end, just whispered, "We're gonna get through this together." The next several months that passed, he was very quiet. Wouldn't say much. Wouldn't interact much. Still trying to process everything that happened and. To the credit of our teachers and our youth that were there at that time, we all rallied around him. Every time we saw him on the weekends, some people would try to visit him during the weekdays. But I just told him, hey, you know, the church office is always open. And whenever you have no place to go and you don't want to be home by yourself, just come and just be with me. You can sit beside me on my desk. After three months, he finally began talking again. And he said to me, um, can I be part of the multimedia team? <laughs> and I looked at him and goes, uh, why suddenly do you want to do this? You know, you don't need to do anything, and you can just be here with us. He goes, no. Over the last three months, I was angry. I was confused. I didn't know what to do with my relationship with God. But I don't know what happened, and I can't pinpoint it kind of continually felt a growing presence of God in my life. He said, the reason why I want to serve on multimedia is there's nothing else that I really know how to do, and I think I can learn this. 
but I just want to be in God's presence as much as I can. I want to serve him as much as I can. You know, when I look at this, um, this young student at that time, I saw what happened to him despite this momentary tragedy where he could have used this as his lens of defining God and saying, God, you don't exist. God, you are not just. You are not good. But we journeyed through that deepest low together. And we got through it together. And as we got through it together, how it happened, I don't know. How it formed, I have no clue. But there is this deep realization in his heart that God is still there. That God still loves him. He was able to go through all of that to recognize that I can trust God even in my deepest pain. You know, I'm pretty sure that for this young youth, that this becomes one of those moments as he continues to journey his relationship with God where he says, we got through this together, God. And what other tragedies, hardships may come, we'll get through that together as well. I will not allow moments to define who you are. And I will not allow my relationship with you to be simply defined by moments. You know, so that we would never feel like foreigners or outsiders or the fatherless or like widows or orphans. Just as it said, it says, this God, he gave attention to us so that we would never feel this way and never feel like it depended on my goodness or who I am. God sent his son so that through his son, we would be invited in into and have full access to the relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He invites us into that community, not momentarily, but for eternity. And to do this, Jesus took his body and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. Just take, eat, and remember me. So brothers and sisters, if you have your communion elements together, I want to invite you in into this communion as Jesus invites us in into the relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, journey with me. And the reason why you can is that I've made that access to the Father possible through my life. He gave attention to us. And he says, it's not about moments, but it's about eternity. Let's walk through it together. Brothers and sisters, before we take the, the, the bread together, I want to lead us into prayer. As we pray, let's ask God, forgive us of our wrongful lens that we have, of using moments to define who he is, to ask him to help us to lay that down, 
Let's also pray that God will bring healing to our hearts, to our minds, to remind us that He is good, and that we can go through all portions of our life with Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you sent your son because you gave your affection to us. And this affection is not momentary. It's eternal. May we respond by walking with you. Thank you, Father. We receive this invitation. And as you ask us to come in, we take it, Lord. And we want to keep journeying with you. In Jesus' name, amen.